Loose Minty listeners. This is Emily. And this is Bridget. And this is Stuff Mom Never Told You. And we are excited to talk through a topic that I know gets B and I riled up over here. Spicy. And I think everyone I've talked to about this has something to say. We're talking about the connection between feminism and your hair on the top of your head. So we are talking about the politics of hair, hairstyles, hair length, all kinds of hair conversations will be had today. And we're really interested to continue this conversation. I know CNC, Kristen and Caroline, did tackle some of these topics under um, an episode that's fantastic around curly hair and also an episode specifically about black hairstory, sort of the history of black hair. And those are topics we are going to touch upon today. But really, we want to make that connection between your personal political beliefs and your hairstyle. I think um, I want to start by giving you a little uh, feedback into what our hair looks like. Oh, yeah, right. Emily, what does your hair look like? So I am currently rocking what I consider a pretty fierce pixie. It is fierce. Um, And I bleach the heck out of my hair once a month to make it pretty platinumish blonde. And at the moment, I'm... I'm uh, I'm fading out a little bit of a mermaid hair experiment that I did, so I have some green and blue, and maybe a little bit of pink in my hair right now. It looks good. We'll Aww. put a picture in the show notes. <laughs> okay, great. It looks good. We will definitely be doing that because I was very proud of my mermaid hair. And how about you? Please? Um, I'm rocking uh, a long Marley twist inspired by Solange Knowles. Love um, it. it's great for a gal on the go. And Solange has a lot to say about hair. She does. She has a lot to sing. About hair, she doesn't does. she? She does. So let's take it back for a second, because I was fascinated to realize that hair has long been political. Hair for women in particular, um, starting primarily, if we want to keep it relatively modern, uh, from the liberated women of the 1920s. I read this great article on Huffington Post by Riri Raquette, a hairstylist and badass feminist, who says that when women in the 1920s chopped their hair short and got that sort of androgynous flapper fashion moment, that short hair was a reflection of the culture of the times and a reflection of the start to the women's liberation movement, really. Totally. And so it seems like chopping off your hair as a woman has always sort of signified this kind of rebellious, yeah. you know, devil may care, right. like, you know, kind right. of attitude throughout the time. It's so the opposite of like classical Romanesque Adam and Eve depictions of what long, flowing, beautiful feminine hair should potentially look like. And then we get to the 1970s and 60s. We've got this long, hippie, Yoko Ono-style hair. My mom was such a flower child. She had hair down to her behind. Okay, she had long, natural, brown, long hair. And my mom was born and raised in Colombia, South America. So she was rocking this sort of hippie you know, half Latina look. Your mom sounds gorgeous. <laughs> My mom is gorgeous. My mom's amazing. So the, the long hair of the hippie movement feels like it was part of that flowing free love. It like almost is a physical manifestation. Totally. Of- it's like you're, you're sort of wearing the, you know, the, the times on your head in a mm. kind of way, right? Like women are, are sort of liberated and free and so, like they're sort of representing that on their hair. Yeah. It's it's also very low maintenance, right? Oh it's my like God, yeah. dirty in some ways. There's <laughs> definitely a grungy look to it where it's like 
Woodstock-esque totally. hair. And then we get all the way to the 1980s with punks rocking their mohawks and 90s, right? We've got that heroin chic kind of stringy look happening. And, 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 uh, I'm thinking Kate Moss in the center part. Oh, yeah. Victoria that was some, that Beckham. was an interesting look. It was. Yeah. Did you rock that? I totally parted my hair straight down the middle. And uh, tried to keep it as straight as possible down to the side, posh spice like before she was known as Victoria Beckham. Um, but it's you know it's just interesting. Even they say Riri here writes in, "Is my hairstyle a feminist statement?" She says the dip dye, aka the balayage movement, uh, from more recent years reflects a need for women to spend longer times between hair appointments due to a reduction in luxury spending, which to me, I can't tell if that makes sense or not. Is that a stretch? Like, isn't balayage also a, tr- a fashion trend or is it a financial reflection? I mean, that's such a good question. I mean, I think that certainly hair choices and hairstyles reflect a sort of economic times, mm. but I also think it's one of those things that like, it could just be a trend, right? Yeah. Like it could just be like, this is how people wear their hair. Yeah. And I think that's really the the crux of today's conversation is how much can we read into a woman's hairstyle? And is that fair? <laughs> is it fair to judge someone's level of feminism or wokeness based on what they're rocking in terms of locks on the top of their head? And I think today we want to really focus on the modern considerations of how you do your hair and what that might say about you and if it's even fair, really. Or does it say anything? Right. Or does it has maybe it has nothing to do with uh, with your feminist political beliefs. So let's talk a little bit about one article I found really compelling here on the post Trump cut. Did you see that? I did see that. So what this is, is just like after a bad breakup, you sometimes you I mean, if you've ever seen any kind of like romantic comedy, you've seen this scene where she's finally dumped this awful boyfriend or he's dumped her. And then she cuts her hair because, you know, she's just like done with this. She's ready for a change. Yeah. Um, you know, cutting off those locks, whole new her. Mm. Um, I'm thinking of examples from like popular culture. If you watch the last season of Real Housewives, um, yeah. Jules, when she gets a divorce, she has, she's known for her like long flowing hair. Yeah. And then at the reunion, after she's divorced, she's a pixie cut. I've seen this. Yeah. yeah. Um, so basically, this is the same idea, but with Trump. So mm-hmm. a lot of women reported um, getting these short haircuts after Trump won the election. And so there's a really funny bit in the article where a woman goes to like a hairstylist and yeah. she's like, you know, Melania Trump, think the opposite. When, <laughs> when the stylist asks, like, what do you want for your yeah. style? Yeah. Um, I thought that was telling. And it's ironic. Okay, so we're talking about an article in New York Magazine, which is called The Cut, by the way. So it's it's such a meta. It's such a meta uh, article. But there, you know, this is all anecdotal, too. We're hearing from salons in D.C. in particular that there's been a significant uptick in last-minute bookings after the election to make drastic sweeping changes to your look, similar to how... When you feel like your life is going through a major structural overhaul through a big breakup or something of that nature, there's this um, grasping at what you can control, what is in your power, totally. what, what you have agency over. And I think this is telling, right? We have a... Uh, a woman quoted in this article who lives in D.C. She's an Atlanta native. She's 45 years old. After the November 
2008 election upset, Evans fell into a downward spiral. Quote, I cried for three days. End quote. I felt, or quote again, I felt like it was the worst thing politically that ever happened in my lifetime. It was catastrophic. By Friday, she noticed Gray's growing in, so she put on her big girl panties and dragged herself to the drugstore. Literally, without thinking, I grabbed the natural black box by Garnier. She says, I was like, F it. The election deadened my soul. I think I wanted to do something defiant <laughs> to feel stronger. So she dyes her hair black and goes goth, and now she's rocking it. She's I love keeping it. it. I so, know. listeners, you might be thinking, that sounds so extra and so dramatic. <laughs> but I'm here to talk. Remember where you felt, you know, yeah. the day after the election. Like, that... To me, that sound, I mean, like, it might sound kind of over the top and sort of like dramatic, but I think that makes so much sense so. where, yeah. you know, you can control how you present to the world right. in, in some ways. And I think that, you know, grasping at a way to sort of make a change to sort of take ownership over that, like, yes. I'm going to own how I present in the world in this way. Yes. And even though it can be a really small thing, like just changing your hair color, um, it can really kind of change your whole outlook on your situation. Yeah. And it's also so very, it feels like a very millennial thing because mm-hmm. we were all taught that, you know, independent streaks are cool and that it's all about you and personalizing your life is part of, I think, a very a key component to Gen Y is that idea of like identity right. and personalization and your uniqueness. And so in, in sort of desiring to be more unique, I think owning your own style and presentation, especially from the hair in the hair department, can really help you take that agency back in your life. And that certainly was true for me when I cut off 11 inches of my brown hair to go to transition into pixie land, which, by the way, is a great, wonderful and happy place. I love having a pixie. (laughs) Pixie Um, The power pixie is a total thing. So when I did that, it coincided with me starting Bossed Up, starting Mm. my own company. What is interesting is that it did not coincide with a change in my relationship. So I actually fell in love with my man when I had long flowing brown hair and then cut off 11 inches. And it was the first time in my life I was like, I'm not going to really... I'm not, first of all, I didn't ask his permission. Can I say, I have so many questions that will derail <laughs> this conversation in so many yeah, ways. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Maybe, we'll, okay, let's, let's take a quick break. I think now would be a good time for a quick break because we are going to talk about long, long versus short. I think long versus short is a big, big debate in the modern hair politics. So we'll be right back and we're going to dive into the, the pixie power in just a moment. But first, here's a word from our sponsors. And we are back, and B has so many questions. I have so many questions for me. And I, uh, so just just as a reminder, where we left off, we, I just admitted to the fact that I cut off eleven inches of my hair and went pixie power, full pixie power, after a year of dating my my boo, Brad the boo, um, who with with whom I fell in love while rocking long flowing natural brown curly hair. So fire away, B. I know you want to. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> One, did he care? Did he, so, so did he just, you left for work one day, you came back with a completely different look. Is that the vibe? I informed him. Okay, he knew. I was like, so here's what I'm gonna do. As long as Obama gets reelected, this is where we were at. No, was it Obama? Yeah. 
So it was 2012? Yeah. Right. So as long as Obama gets reelected, I'm quitting my job, I'm starting a business, and I'm cutting off my hair. And I'm going to celebrate the election that way. Because it was also, to me, the last political election mm. that I was going to be a full-time political operative for. So it felt like a transitional phase for right. me career-wise. And I was really determined to be brave and be courageous and dare to try to start something new, like so a company. It's almost exactly like what you were just saying before, yeah. where it it wasn't a romantic situation, no. but it was like a like I need to make a bold change in yes. my life and yes. I can control this aspect of yeah. my, my physical appearance and I'm going to do that. It was symbolic and wow. it was about courage. And I had always wanted to to try on a pixie for size, but it feels really scary. And I also thought, okay, I can donate to Locks for Love so that this is like a, a there's like more accountability right. when I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to donate my, my hair and I'm going to change my look and change my life. And so Brad did have, Brad notoriously has never really commented much on my physical appearance. Oh, that's interesting. She is a real woke bae. I, I need to throw that he out there. He has no idea either, either that he's Shout woke. out to Brad. Yeah. Hashtag woke bae. Hashtag woke bae who doesn't know how woke he is. Um, but what's cool is that, which was a little just un, like a little uncomfortable at first because I was like, come on, man, tell me how hot I am. What's up with that? <laughs> you know, I'd have to, I have to still ask for compliments when I'm really feeling. I'm like, don't I look super fine tonight? And he'll be like, yeah, always. <laughs> and that's it. You know, that's all I hear from him. But the fact that he didn't comment on my hair at first meant that chopping it off to me felt bold and independent. Right. And I wasn't relying on his approval, but it, it was certainly nerve wracking and scary. And then a couple of months later, I said, you know, brown, my natural brown hair is cool. I like it. But with a pixie, you can't see how fierce this short, choppy cut is. Right. Let's dye it. And I haven't dyed my hair in 10 years. So if I'm going to dye it, I'm going to go all the way to the right. other end of the spectrum. And I went platinum blonde and I showed up with a crazy ass looking mohawk, like sitting straight up in the air. And he was like, all right, you know, <laughs> like that was it. You know, he was just like, all right, cool. You know, I could do whatever. And he'll, you know, he barely bats an eye. I love this. It's interesting. It's a little, I love it. I love him too. So I love this response, but it was, it was so my decision, my choice, my chop. So I have another question. Mm. Do you feel like you, this, I don't even know how to phrase this. When you look in the mirror now with your pixie cut and yeah. your platinum blonde, do you feel like you look the way that you were meant to look? Like, are you like, yes. this is me? You know who put it perfectly was my friend, who you might know, Megan Lubin. Oh, sure. She, she was the only, one of the very early people who didn't ask me like what the hell I was thinking and, if I was going crazy and having like a Britney Spears meltdown, shave my head moment, which a lot of people were like concerned. Oh, gosh. people were concerned. <laughs> and Lubin came up to me and said to me, and these words stuck with me. She says, Emily, this is the hair that has been wanting to come out of your head your whole life. This is you in person. You know, this is, this is such a reflection that's of so your powerful. personality. And I was like, I felt the same way. And that's the only reason I've kept this look for so long. I love that. So I have a, like, mm -hmm. this is the weirdest example, but, I was once watching some like VH1, like behind the music. Mm. And who is the guy from the band Counting Crows with the dreadlocks, which is <laughs> its own, it's, I don't know his name, but it's <laughs> yeah. its own like weird thing, it is. which we'll get into later. Yes. But um he talked about that like he once tried on like a dreadlock wig or something. And then he looked at himself in the mirror and was like, oh, my God, this is what I was meant to look like. Interesting. Like, um, and of course, it has its own like mixed bag of weird cultural stuff. But right. That, like. I totally identified with that where you see yourself reflected as like right. how you've always kind of felt inside. Yeah. And when you kind of see that thinking like, this is it. 
I know. I, I, this is weird. what I've been reaching for. It's weird too because I like change more than anything. I like change. So the short short hair allows me to change it up every time I get it cut, just slightly enough to give me that variability that makes me that's you know scratches that itch. But what I noticed is that there was a distinct shift in the male gaze in the in the feedback I was getting from men. And what we've seen in the articles written about this is that there's this great piece in Odyssey, the Odyssey Online where it it's titled uh what my haircut taught me about feminism and this woman who chopped her hair off long long beautiful red hair she chopped it off into a short pixie and there were men in her life who literally said why did you do that you know and there were women in her life who said you know that guys aren't going to hit on you as much anymore so these women had internalized the sort of male gaze and were warning her they thought they were doing her a favor they were warning her that she might not attract as many men and so this sort of like first of all this is this is there's also some heteronormative weirdness here because a people thought pixie equals lesbian like short hair equals gay which is not it's own, true yeah, and not, fair yeah. and hello? Like, what? Really? And then two, the guys that hit on me, I call my pixie haircut the douchebag screen. <laughs> <laughs> because when I cut my hair short, there was a very significant drop in men who would hit on me. And yet the quality of the men who do hit on me has skyrocketed. Because well, I think it's like, <laughs> so I have so much to say about this. One, I think it's really interesting that like, the way that women go through the world, like with the world thinking that they kind of own or have some sort of ownership over her body. And I think right. that like we see that in all kinds of ways. We see that through like legislation around women's issues, mm. but we see it in these smaller ways too, like with hair that like if you cut your hair, that men in your life would be like, Oh, how could you do that? Like I have a friend who got um, a breast reduction and that like, men told her right. the same thing. And she's like, dude, the way that I, exist in the world is not does not exist to you know please, please men. you and i also i mean i love that point about like the douchebag screen right oh, yeah. like i think the kind of guy who would hit on a woman with really short hair in public maybe is the kind of guy who mm. like if we're gonna go with this idea that cutting your hair short could mean you know that you're taking ownership over your life or making some right. change right the kind of guy who like is like oh that's the kind of lady i want right, right. like that's interesting. That, like, it is. Yeah. And there was a distinct change in the racial makeup of mm. the men who hit on Say me. more about that. So I don't know. Like, there is not enough research on this. Not enough. But here's my very limited anecdotal evidence. And I do... I did at the time. I was, you know, I, I do live in DC when I made all these hair changes. And DC is a very, I think, multicultural city. If you don't know, for a very long time, DC was called Chocolate City. Yes, true that. Except Northwest DC doesn't always look like, like Latte City. <laughs> right. A little mocha or something. <laughs> yeah. So, first and foremost, White boys did not hit on me like they used to. Long hair, brunette, all the white boys came to the yard, right? <laughs> but this short pixie milkshake, no, 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 did not bring all the boys to the yard. First of all, it it definitely changed um, to a more courageous man, mm. and also the person who's more likely to hit on me or give me compliments, male or female, tends to be black. And we're talking about a, a short pixie haircut with an undercut, too, which I think the undercut thing makes it uh, a little maybe extra fierce. Like an, yeah, maybe it's just like... Think about it, though. Bl- black 
beauty. Yeah. And black women have been rocking short hair a la Riri for a lot longer. Yeah. Short hair. This is like when I was uh, younger, there was this very, very cool, edgy thing where like if you were a black woman with like very short hair, it was like the coolest thing. The coolest. And there was this... um. R&B musician Charlie Baltimore, who was amazing. Um, do you remember Eve? Like she was oh, always yeah. with the like paw print tattoos. Yes. Like, that was like the Jada Pinkett Smith. Yeah, yeah. Um, early Tony Braxton. Yeah, like, yeah. That was like a thing where right. like if you were a black woman, like celebrity, and you had super short hair, the thing that like in like you were seen as like the hip, edgy, yes. like rebel, you know, yes. and that was like, like, I remember my mom not letting me, I think, I want, I don't remember what the movie was, mm. but not letting me go see a movie that had Jada Pinkett in it because she was like, all you're going to do is like want to chop your hair <laughs> off. And that was a no, no in my house. Really? Right. Like, um, wow, yeah, that's interesting. I want to ask you more about that. I, so f- let's, let's go there. Why? Oh, so I mean, I, it's interesting. So as y'all know, or maybe you don't know, in black communities, hair is a thing, mm. right? Like, when I grew up, like, it was, like, I grew up having sort of, like, very, very long uh, hair my whole life. I, I kind of wore my hair like the late Aaliyah, rest in peace, mm. very long uh, side part. And in my house, like, you just weren't allowed to cut your hair. Like, it was, huh. like, it's such a big thing in black communities, like, you know, for if a black woman cuts her hair very short, which is like when you go natural, right, a lot of times have you to. have to. They right. call that big chopping, but um, it's a it's a really heavy thing. And so huh. when I was growing up, like I remember when I went to college, I cut my hair into a bob, and my mom was furious, wow. furious, wow. and she felt so per- she she took it as such a personal affront, right? Mm. That like you know, and she always likes to say, I don't even think this is really in the Bible, but she always says this like. Your hair is your crown and glory. I think that's, that might be like a made up Bible quote. Like, <laughs> I'm no expert. We'll, we'll look into this, but right. I don't think it's a re- really right. in there. But it's this idea that like, if God has blessed you with like long hair, cutting mm. it off is like an affront to him. And Interesting. It, I, I grew up with that my whole life. And wow. so I subsequently grew up like kind of fantasizing about being one of these like rebel, badass black women, like a la Eve, Mm. a la Charlie Baltimore, you know, all these women. And if you go back and watch, like, these were the women who were, like, riding motorcycles. They were wearing, like, you know, leather bodysuits and stuff. Like, they were, like, really fierce. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, it's just a whole thing. And so I grew up with very complicated um, issues around my hair as a black woman. Mm. And it's just interesting to see how those play out in both feminism with right. race, with culture, it's just it's a, it's just a thing. Like it's such a big, you know, heavy, thorny thing. Yeah, I think for all women, I think so too. And we're gonna dive into natural versus treated hair and and black women's hair in a second, because I think that is such a huge part of the modern hair conundrums and the politics of hair right now. But I wanna I wanna sort of bring us back to what you're saying around this pressure that women feel. To please others Definitely. with our hair, whether it's mom or the male gaze or misogyny writ large, right? This or your of, boss. Right. Or your boss, because there is a clear message that I think uh, women have received, which is that big hair, curly hair, natural hair is not always deemed appropriate. So there's a quote here from the Odyssey Online 
piece, which says, which goes back to that woman whose experience with chopping her hair really short, I think really resonates with me here. She goes, quote, they felt entitled to request that I change my image to visually please them. She's talking about the men who gave her negative feedback. It was not my personal preference or comfort that mattered to them, but rather my ability to mindlessly adapt to their standards. Mm. And there are so many standards that we now are dealing with, whether it's like, here's what it means to be a woke feminist, black, a woke black feminist. Here's right. what your hair should look like or from your mom or from men in your life or, or women in your life. So let's dive into this component around natural hair. So I should say I have natural hair. Um, I wear it right now. I mean, I change it often, but I wear it in twists just for, you know, ease and mobility because I'm pretty busy these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like to tell people, like people always ask, why did you go natural? And right. I think with black women, it's this. So hair, our hair is so politicized, like hair is political, but for black women, it's ultra super duper political. Yes. And I think that for me, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, were you going through like a political or like social awakening? And so I kind of like, <laughs> I kind of like lie about this, right? Like, so if someone wants to be like, why did you go natural? I'll be like, oh, you know, I just felt like I needed to, you know, throw off the chains of the white beauty standards. That's a lie. The real story is that I was broke, right? Like having relaxed hair is expensive. expensive. It's very expensive. And time consuming. It's time consuming. It's expensive. I didn't have money. I was a broke student. I didn't have money to go get, you know, a relaxer every couple weeks. You know, that's like a hundred dollars, maybe more. That's crazy. And so I basically was like, I need to make a financial choice. So, you know, it's seen as so political and it is political in black communities, I think. But like for me, it was just a complete like, it was not at all a political or social thing. It was just a choice that I made. When, when did you make that choice? I made this choice in, it was right after college. after college. So I was starting graduate school. That was the brokest I've ever been in my life. <laughs> graduate school. Like, yeah. If you've ever been a graduate student, you know what's up. Uh-huh. Um, and I also was very busy, right? Like black salons are sort of notorious for making you wait all day for like <laughs> spending your whole Saturday in a salon. And it was just one of those things where I was like, I had so little free time that like, do I want to spend my entire Saturday on my hair? Absolutely not. That's what Phoebe Robinson writes about in her great book, You Can't Touch My Hair. She says, I learned from my predominantly white classmates at the predominantly white school I went to for, I think it was high school. She says that, you know, I learned that weekends were a thing that white people had that I didn't have. Like weekends were were wrapped up in white privilege because at least once a month, right? She spent her entire Saturday in the salon. Yeah, that that resonates so much with my um, experience. Like when mm-hmm. I was growing up, Saturdays were my mom would we would get up very early, like seven a.m. Like when you're mm-hmm. a kid, that's very early. <laughs> we would drive down with like me, my mom, my cousins, um, sometimes like some of her friends. We would go to the same salon called um, Oh God, what's the name of that salon? I wish I could remember. Uh. Shout out to that salon. I'm sure it's closed <laughs> now. Um, but yeah, we would all drive down and we'd be there all day. Wow. And so part of me is like once a week, once a week. Wow. Yeah, once a week. So we would we would we would. Cl- close the salon with them. Like, I remember we'd be leaving and they would be, like, locking up. And this wow. would be an all-day thing. Wow. And, you know, what's interesting is that, like, it was, you know, as a kid, I would have much rather have been, like, swimming or biking or whatever. But I do think that, like, those experiences, I mean, it taught me the value of, of a community of right. women. And right. so, like, I don't want to be like, oh, my God, it was the worst thing ever. True, true. But, like, 
it yeah it, it would have been nice to, to have a choice to have matter. a choice yeah and i never felt like i had a choice mm. i felt like like clockworks saturdays were for getting your hair done sundays were for church yeah. so i really didn't get weekends as a kid and the other thing that alarmed me when i was reading phoebe's book that she sort of glossed over pretty quickly was that sweating was not encouraged because when you get your hair done once a week which costs a lot of money and maybe it's treated to be straight you sweat you mess it up so what does that mean about sweating is running around and being a kid you, you know? can't you don't you don't you sort of that yeah. becomes a sort of fraught thing and what's so interesting about mm-hmm. this is that they've actually done studies in for black women that say that that can be connected to um, how often you work out and your fitness, right? That like, if you are concerned about your hair getting messed up, which right. black women like, reasonable, yeah, yeah. you have to be like, this right. is it's it's not that's not an unreasonable thing to be concerned about. Right. But if you that may make you less likely to, to work exercise. out to exercise, yeah. and that like, you know, your physical health can suffer because of this pressure that you feel um, about your your beauty standards, your beauty standards, yeah, and it's so fraught because like as black women. We are expected to adhere to these to these kind right. of unrealistic beauty standards, right. so we really can't win. Yeah, it sounds like a you know damned if you do, damned if you don't totally. situation. But and it also we don't want to say that if you do chemically treat your hair or if you do spend it every Saturday in the beauty parlor that there's something wrong with you or that, that's, that that makes you a bad feminist, right? There are totally legit reasons and there's also just the arbitrary like that's what you like reason totally. which is valid this it's is valid my biggest pet peeve is this idea that if a black woman has a weave has you know straightened hair because i had straightened hair for most of my life yeah. right? like me going natural has been a recent thing mm. you know that you're not woke that you're not with right. it that you're not political right. and I, I see a lot of like really awful memes on social media that are like oh if black women didn't get weaves then oppression would stop and it's like no like, um. i don't think one woman her choice to like have a certain hairstyle is like right. what's fueling worldwide global oppression i think it might be other things sure and it's also not on black women to yeah. solve the problem of how other people perceive totally. their let hair. us let us wear our hair that yeah. we want gotta live you gotta do gotta you live. So I I love what Phoebe Robinson has to say about this. You should definitely pick up her book if you haven't already. She is a n- notorious hair experimenter. She's always changing up her look. She's she's done, gone natural. She's had dreads. She's had straightened hair. She says she just likes it, right? There's an element of whatever you want your personal style to be is fine. And one of the chapters of her book, she walks through sort of the modern history of black hair in the public eye in pop culture. And what I what I love love about your story and you sharing the secret of how you might sometimes lie a little bit about why you went natural is what she has to say about uh, Janet Jackson's poetic justice braids and Lenny Kravitz's Are You Gonna Go My Way dreads a la 1993. She says, I'm grouping Janet's braids and Lenny's dreads together because they both fall under the quote, stay woke category. For the uninitiated, stay woke is when a black person is informed of the world's injustices and how those injustices affect the black community. And then they let everybody know that they are (laughs) informed. Sometimes the I'm woke and staying woke memo is as simple as a person changing their name to something more Afrocentric or wearing bow ties in kente cloth. Other times, you're clued into their wokeness by the frequency with which they light candles and incense all over their crib, like Angela Bassett did in the Buddhist praying scene in What's Love Got to Do With It? I have so much to say about that. So first of all, <laughs> Phoebe is like basically calling me out here. Just, I was that, I was that kind of person for a while. And so now y'all know that I went natural 
not out of wokeness. Right. But then when I did go natural, I did go through a weird phase where I felt like I had to be like more, you informed. know, more informed. <laughs> so I definitely like, I, your hair I bought a lot of like, this is embarrassing. <sighs> I bought a lot of like really long maxi skirts. Because I thought that's what like woke women wore. Wow. I um I definitely like lit incense, and I definitely I mean I went through that phase, and it's yeah. funny. I mean like I do think that with that hairstyle, it's like what Spider Man says: with resp- <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. Well, with I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, and I felt that way. I think that I didn't think a lot of I think that Phoebe nails it right. That mm. like you do feel this like pressure to look informed with it, woke, all of that when you have a certain hairstyle as a black woman. Do you feel like people treated you differently? Oh, 100%. 100%. When I had my, like, long, straight Aaliyah hair, Mm -hmm. um, it's funny. I mean, like, I definitely got hit on more by men when I had long, straight hair. Like, Mm. And even when I straighten it now, because even even though I'm natural, I I straighten it from time to time, Mm -hmm. and, like, definitely get more attention from from men just in general. Hmm. But when my hair is natural... You know, men would come up to me on the street and say things to me like, hello, goddess, like, <laughs> hello, mother, hello, queen, like things like that. And so it was, a, oh. it was like I was a different person. And so, yeah. um, I always like to joke with my partner that dating a black woman with natural hair is like, it's like dating eight women, right? Cause it's like one mm-hmm. day I'll have twists, one day I'll have braids, one day it'll be straight, one day it'll be a fro. Like, who are you going to get this morning? You know, you <laughs> right, never know. Right. And I think that difference in treatment is, very interesting, especially as it pertains to black women at work. Mm. And I think it's really interesting how the United States military feels about black women's hair. Totally. So, like, what we found, and this is something that I think is so absurd, but it should give you a sense of the idea of, like, how policed black women's hair actually is. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, this sounds like a bunch of fuss about nothing, this is a, a, a real thing for black women. And so... Black women in the military, they had this rule that said that black women could not wear braids, twists, any kind of hairstyle like that. And why that's such a problem is that basically the one of the only styles that is accepted in the military for women is to have your hair in a low bun. But that that rule assumes that all hair grows the same, and it doesn't, right? Like, when my hair was natural and short, there's no way I could have gotten it into a bun. Mm. Like, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so they don't let you wear your, like, they didn't let you wear your, like, natural poo for your, you know, a fro. So your hair just, like, growing out of your head the way that it does naturally is, like, isn't, not acceptable. Isn't good enough for the United isn't States Isn't good enough military. for the military. But not that they're going to subsidize, like, the treating of exactly, it. Exactly, right? exactly. And so... What I also found really problematic about that rule is that it was clearly made up by someone who doesn't understand black hair. Because if you're a little black girl, you know that when you go you go to camp for the summer, you get twists or braids, right? Like, that is the utilitarian, like, you're going to be swimming, you're going to be climbing, you're going to be sweating. Like, I wear my hair in twists now because I don't have time to, like, really be in the mirror every day doing a style. And so, basically, they're telling black women that the style that is universally understood to be you know, the style of people who are just like... It's easier to maintain. It's easier to maintain. Especially when you're in the military and working out all exactly. the time. Exactly. They're telling you like, that style isn't right. okay. So this rule was eventually um, rescinded after lots and lots of people right. making noise about it, rightly. But it should really give you a sense of how policed uh, black women's hair has been for so long. And I think that, you know, there have been cases... A federal court once ruled that companies could fire people for having dreadlocks. Huh. And what again, kind of people have Oh, have can you can you imagine? Often. Can you imagine what kind of people? Huh. And again, I mean, it just should give you a sense of 
how how fraught and how mm-hmm. sort of wrapped up in in race and cultural identity right. that that hair is for black women. And they said, well, it's just we're just requiring our employees to project a quote professional and business like image end quote, and therefore they're saying this kind of style that happens to be rocked by more black people than white is unacceptable. Right, and it's I, I think like. There are so many cases and examples. Mm. Um, there is a, a prestigious school in South Africa that was used to be whites only, but is now, um, you know, not where they wouldn't let, let like schoolgirls wear their braids and fros and natural styles. And the girls actually protested. Mm-hmm. They were like, this mm-hmm. is racist and we should be allowed to wear our hair the way that we want. And you can't dictate, you know, what, what we do with our own bodies and our own hair. Right. Right. Well, it's, it's absolutely, uh, a universal talking point, it feels like today, with just recently Bill O'Reilly making quite a fuss over the incredible Maxine Waters. Can you tell us about that situation and catch us up on that front? Oh, yes. So if you don't know Maxine Waters, she's lovingly known as Auntie Maxine (laughs) by me and lots of people who love her. Um, She is just this fierce black congresswoman from California, and she's really been doing a lot of work um, calling out a lot of unpleasant stuff going on mm-hmm. in our political system right now. And so she's made herself a target because she's been so fierce and, and so visible. Right? And visible. She's been so at the at the forefront of critiquing the new administration. She is leading this movement, yes. right? Like she like the resistance will be led by, <laughs> by your black auntie. Yeah, Maxine Waters. I love <laughs> who is it. not having any of it. And so she was on, you know, on the floor sort of giving a giving a speech about the pressing matters of our, our time. And Bill O'Reilly, who, by the way, who is he to criticize anyone's hair? Right, so um, made fun of her wig. She said he said it was a James Brown wig because he couldn't hear what she was saying because he was so distracted by her James Brown. What a dehumanizing thing to say that I, I'm not listening to the words that you're saying, Congresswoman. Yeah, I, I can't. Li- I can't even hear what you're saying if right. I find your appearance to be mm-hmm. not acceptable. Um, and I, I thought that. For, and so obviously, I think making that kind of dig at anybody is unacceptable. Um, but I also think that specifically because black women are, it's like I said earlier, like we can't win. Like right. we are expected to adhere to these sort of like very difficult, sometimes difficult to adhere to beauty standards. And so, you know, I wear braids as a way to sort of like get around that. If you like, I, I don't know if Maxine Waters wears a wig or not, but like if she did wear a wig, like, that would be a totally reasonable way for a black woman to try to adhere to these like very difficult standards yeah. that we've been up against. And so like, it's like, you can't win. Like right. if she, had, if she wore her natural hair, he would probably have something to say. Right. If she right. wears a wig to look, you know, quote unquote more professional, uh, he has something to yeah, say. Like, it's right. like we, it's like a minefield. Right. right. And, and we, I think there's a component to this minefield that, starts to get even more confusing when we start to look at people of different races adopting traditionally black or, uh, you know, other cultures, traditions in their own hair choices. Definitely. And I know that we're trying to be about more choices, right? We want, again, you're saying that the constrained choices that black women face are unfair, and they are, because God forbid they should wear their natural you know, Afro hair or natural hair of any kind in any form, you know, people have something to say about that or any other style that's more quote unquote, uh, acceptable or professional. And the same thing goes, I think, in w- when we see 
the rise of the Rachel Dolezals of the world, <laughs> if I'm saying that correctly, which is where I want to co- I want to go there next on talking through what happens when uh, inspiration turns into cultural appropriation. Uh oh. So hang on. We are going to we have a lot more to say about that and about the political choices that women face when just choosing how to present their hair to the world when we come back from this quick break. And we are back and we have the oh so simple uh, task ahead of us of explaining Cultural appropriation in hair and beauty for today's modern woman. No big deal, right? We got this. Nothing, nothing major here. Nothing controversial here. So I, I think this really became a major public issue. Uh, or at least I became even more aware of the challenges and issues around cultural appropriation with Rachel Dolezal. So in case you missed the whole Rachel Dolezal thing, I don't know how you could because it was everywhere. This is a story that I read every article, every comment. I was on this story intensely. So Rachel Dolezal was the head of the uh, Spokane chapter of the NAACP. This is back in 2015. Um, she basically was outed as a white woman who was kind of pretending passing. to be a yeah. black woman. And so, you know, there's this whole thing with passing where you are, you know, a black person who is light enough to look white, and so you've been passing as white. She was sort of doing this in reverse. And so she had, you know, she attended Howard University mm-hmm. at D.C. She had been presenting as a black Which woman. Which is a historically black university, but white and black people yeah, can go there. I, I taught, yeah, I taught right. at Howard for a few years, and I can confirm that yeah. there are white people there, there are white teachers. You would not have to lie about your race right. to, like, lie your way into Howard. Right. You could definitely go as a white person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, she had been lying about her race, and that when called out, she admitted to being white, but or biologically white? Yeah, if her that's, parents that's how you, were white? But, that, that's but how you culturally want to say it, black? She considered herself to be, quote, transracial. Oh, right, right, So right. she was saying that she feels inside like she's a black woman, and though despite the fact that she's not was not born a black woman, she believes that she is culturally black. Which does a huge disservice to the transgender community. Oh my god, yes. Because this is not... It all comparable. Not in and the least. It also, you know, she, we also have to acknowledge here that she permed her hair. Yes. This is a big so part she, of it. So she, she curled tight, tight curls. So another kind of fun wrinkle about Rachel is that she actually worked on the side as, uh, someone who like braided hair out of her apartment. Really? I don't know if, you, I don't know if you know this. I didn't um, know that. Oh my God. Which that is like, basically, Rachel was, is like, mimicking a very particular kind of black woman. Like right. the kind of black woman who doesn't who like braids hair out of her apartment right. as a side hustle. That's a very particular kind of black woman. Right. So she's imitating a very like specific kind of black identity, right. which I find very interesting. Which uh is also sort of linked to the very roots of um hairstyling in Africa. Totally. You know, the the there was usually and this is way back in the day, something I learned from Sminty, the um on their hair story podcast, there was uh like one hairstylist per African village. Right. And this person was of high renown and uh very respected in the community, and that was a trade that was passed down through generations. And I think that's something still because like still, yeah. everyone knows like mm-hmm. like if you have a hairstylist that you love, you probably have been going to her for years, like you know, the woman who does who braids my hair, like, she's like a second mom. Right. So for Rachel Dolezal to 
sort of pose as a black person in that way raised all the cultural appropriation bells and all the red flags and really ignited a conversation that needed to be ignited that um, and brought brought attention to how troubling it can be when, you know, the Kardashians rock cornrows or when when Native American headdresses, Mm. which are a spiritual and very revered and sacred component of a Native American tribe is trotted down a high fashion runway as or a like headdress or like at Coachella on someone's shoulders oh, yeah. listening to like yeah. Skrillex. Right. <laughs> right. So that I mean that just makes I think um specifically minority Americans, right, who who frankly have said and I've read this, you haven't earned the right to rock that style. Because this is about our culture that has been preserved in the face of persecution. And it makes me really, as a, as a white-ish, a mostly white, a person who presents white racially, um, even though I do have some South American roots in me, as a white person who does admire traditionally black style and, and that style of the hip hop movement, um, and respects that and understands the origins of that, it does, I do find this troubling in some ways. So why? So- I, I'm so afraid of being the woman to be called out for rocking like bamboo hoop earrings, which by the way, I don't own any. <laughs> I own but several I, pairs. I want to, <laughs> but I really feel like I can't do that. You know, like, where is that line? So let me take you back to the origins of Emily Aries's love of of black style. Okay, that's what this is. I was 12 years old. Uh, and my parents, my mom is Catholic, my dad is Jewish, asked me what I wanted for Hanukkah. And at the time, I was a big fan of Brandy. Um, and I admired her braids so much. Those you know, those like really thin braids. I would stay up all night, not all night, but way too late on a school night to braid my hair. I would be, and by the way, I grew up in a 97% white suburb of Hartford, Connecticut, you know, and when my dad asked me what I wanted for Hanukkah, I said, I want my hair braided professionally. I want cornrows. And my mom, who's a nurse, works with a bunch of black nurses as co-workers in a Hartford-based hospital. And she asked them, she talked to them, she told them, I don't know what their reactions were. I wish I could go back in time and find out. But, you know, they pointed her to a, a braid shop in Hartford, Connecticut. And over, you know, holiday break during middle school, by the way, this is sixth grade. Middle school is hard enough. So why why the hell did I do this to myself? I said, awesome. I'm going to go get my hair braided. I did. It took a while. It was really painful. It hurt. For a little white girl whose scalp hadn't been pulled on my entire life. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with turquoise and glitter beads on the bottom of every braid, loving my look, shaking my head and just being like, this is the ultimate gift. This is my, I'm so happy. <laughs> what the hell? Right? So what the hell is happening here? My parents are very, they have let me, you know, do my own thing my own entire life. So I guess props to them for not giving me any grief about it. I don't know. So here's what happens. I get on the school bus the first day back from holiday break. And I am being bullied immediately. And I'm thinking, how cool is my hair, man? Everyone's going to love it. Every I literally thought that all these white kids <laughs> in my school were going to love my hair. And I'm getting called names that are not appropriate for air, right? Like bad names. And I'm getting asked weird questions by my classmates like, where did you go? And finally, my band teacher, shout out to Mr. Anderson, who was woke before, kind of knew what woke was. But he, he was at least 
clear with me enough to say, well, did you go on a cruise? <laughs> and I'm thinking like, uh, no, we don't have that kind of money. Like, who do you think I am? And I'm like, no. And he says, did you go to the Bahamas? I'm like, no. And he goes, well, where'd you get your hair done? And I looked him straight in the eye and I said, Hartford, why does everyone give me so much grief about this? And the sad part of the story is I went home that night and immediately took them all out. But, you know, the other part of the story is I had zero cultural understanding or respect for cornrows at the time. So... Is that cultural appropriation? Am I, a, you know, was I a, an ignorant little kid or was like, was it wrong for my parents to let me do that? I mean, that was the day I learned that white girls cannot rock cornrows. And it wasn't from anyone black in my life that had told me that. There weren't very many people in my life at the time were black. But uh, my white, my, my white, you know, colleagues and classmates and teachers certainly let me know that was not allowed either. That I mean... That's a lot. <laughs> I just feel very torn about it. I feel like, is it ever okay for a, a white person to rock cornrows? I mean, it, that's a, it's, that's such a fraught question. Yeah. Right? Like, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because we, I grew up seeing a lot of white people, like, ju- like Justin Timberlake used to do it all the time. Remember back oh, in the yeah. day? It's not, it's not cool. It, it's bad. It's not, it's like, I, see, like, my, just personally, mm-hmm. my, problem with it usually comes from more of a like it looks weird like even before really? getting into even before like getting into like the cold <laughs> well, you the cultural seen stuff. sixth grade emily Aries. I, I would love to see a, a picture put it in the show notes <laughs> i will we gotta I will. see this picture it's on my insta um, i i have an i have an interesting sort of like parallel to that so i grew up wearing cornrows all the time because like i said i had long hair um usually around the summertime i would get them like my grandma was really good at doing them mm. and i always remember so i went to a school that was like be it like it was kind of diverse, but it was very white. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember uh, when it was like spring break or like coming back from summer, girls, kind of like what you just said, they yeah. would always come back from cruises with these like, they had gotten their hair braided and with beads. And so... It, it was became, like half done usually. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Like, cause they didn't want to go full exactly. head of braids, it was which always, is what I did. Oh, gosh. It was always like a little part of their head. Yeah. So usually like, it was like the to top and then right. the back was, was like right. blowing. And so they, people would always sort of ooh and ah, you know, they would come back from these like vacations to the beach to the Bahamas they'd be tan and they would have these like cornrows and all their friends would be like wow where did you go like ooh la la but for me you know I, I yeah. was always you're like uh excuse me yeah I Hello? was seething I would listen to these girls get like fawned over and I'd be like I wear this style every day because I have yeah. to do you not and appreciate my cornrows yes, and so, too? Like, for me I would I would Ugh. just I would just sit in class and like silently stew it would <laughs> Eat me up inside. Oh, well, that's awful. So it just, it's so fraught. It's so fraught. And I think every time, um, Miley Cyrus twerks mm. or Kim Kardashian corners her hair, these conversations come up. And I found Jenny Avins, I want to say Avins of the Atlantic magazine finally put to words some of the discomfort I feel around this, but also really put in stark terms just how much appropriation is at the root of American culture. It doesn't, I feel like these are, these are new forms of appropriation, but she makes it clear that, you know, at her, at her house, she says, and I quote, getting dressed is a daily act of cultural appropriation, and I'm not the least bit sorry about it. 
I step out of the shower in the morning and pull on a vintage cotton kimono. After moisturizing my face, I smear Lucas Papa ointment, a tip from an Australian makeup artist, onto my lips. Before I make coffee with a Bialetti stovetop espresso maker, a girlfriend brought back from Italy. Depending on the weather, I may pull an embroidered flower blouse I bought at a roadside shop in Mexico. Or a stripy Marinier-style shirt, originally inspired by the French, but mine was from the surplus store, standard issue Russian Telnishka. I can't say this. So basically what she's saying, and she goes on and on and on, is that her fashion choices are multicultural. And I I don't want to make excuses for ignorant appropriation, but I do think this article brings up the do's and don'ts of cultural appropriation, what it looks like to respectfully rock styles that originate from other people's cultures. And I know it's controversial, but... It is controversial. So, you know, I think that, like, for me, I think I would read an article like that. And I would say, like, of course, everybody, like, you go through your daily life and, like, choices that you make are inspired Mm. by other cultures. Like, that's that's fine. But I also think it's important to, like, recognize, and I I think that the article sort of goes into this, Mm. like, when you're when you're borrowing from a culture that has a legacy of, like, oppression. Oppression. And so it's, like, you know, being, like, oh, this shirt is French and, like, this whatever is inspired by, like, Nate, like, like indigenous people. It's, like, indigenous people in the United States have a different legacy than French people in the United States have. So, like, I think it's important to sort of, if you're going to, you know, going to wear uh, something that's inspired by another person's culture, really doing it respectfully and, like, knowing where that line is between, you know, like, like appreciating and appropriating because there is a line. I yeah, think. I think so too. It's anxiety provoking, uh, to play with that line too. So I think there's an art, there's an argument to be made for not just for the sake of not offending people because right. people can be offended whether or not your intentions are woke. And Nicki Minaj actually, who's quoted in this article, really put things perfectly when she was reacting, um, to Miley Cyrus's video and sort of the, the, you know, the praising of white women who adapt or rather adopt black culture mm-hmm. and the the overlooking of black women who've been doing that all along. Who've been wearing cornrows every day and yes. then Becky yeah. from Be- third grade. Good hair gets compliments. <laughs> so Nikki says, come on, you can't want the good without the bad, said Nikki, said Minaj. If you want to enjoy our culture and our lifestyle, bond with us, dance with us, have fun with us, twerk with us, rap with us, and then you should also want to know what affects us, what is bothering us, what we feel is unfair to us. You shouldn't not want to know that. And so I think the, the, you know, there's an article or there's the, an, a component to this article that says consider giving credit but also beyond that, consider give, giving royalties. So you better give back and be involved actively in in fighting the oppression of the marginalized cultures from whom you're adopting. Totally. Style. So, totally. And it's like when you think about people like Iggy Azalea, right. I think that she often gets gets blamed for, and like rightly so, for wanting to borrow from black culture, but then like not wanting to know the intricacies of it, not wanting to know right. like, and so it's like being an all lives matter person. Exactly. Like you can't, if you're, if, if like, I feel like with her, it's like, if black culture is the thing that's paying your rent, like you kind of owe us a little bit, right? right? Like, and it's like, <laughs> yes. I think that like, it's so wrong to not, to not care about police killings, to mm. not care about, you know, oppression, to not care about, you know, social injustice that impacts black communities. Mm-hmm. If you are actively like making money off of those communities. Especially. Yeah. 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 That's a really good point. 
And it's something for all of us, I think, to integrate into our considerations, when, not just in hair, but in style in general. So hair is complicated. I think we can start to sort of wrap this up by acknowledging that there are so many tripwires that women run into when it comes to making choices about how we present to the world and conform or choose not to conform to traditional or white or Anglo, you know, um, beauty standards in the world. But what's what's a sminty boss lady to do in light of all this? Well, I think it's really about doing you, right? Like, I think if you want to have short hair, rock your short hair. If mm. you want to have long hair, Rock your long hair. If you want to have extensions, if you want to have twists, natural hair, relaxed hair, these are all personal choices. And even though the outside world may try to put, you know, Mm -hmm. meaning on them, ultimately Mm. you got to do you. And I think the same can be said even for people with whom we vehemently disagree. I'm thinking back to that Ivanka Trump slam that that woman had in the article about saying, you know, Melania Trump or not Ivanka, you know, Melania Trump do the opposite of that. You can have Melania Trump hair and still be a good feminist. I know plenty of women that have right. Melania Trump hair who are right. great feminists. So, you know, there's no bad... I think the politics of hair are fraught and they're complex and that you can make a statement. You can impact the way others see you with your hair choices. But if you are making a strategic choice, let's say you're a black woman who is treating your hair chemically and you're straightening your hair and you're, you know, keeping your hair looking in a uh, a way that is, you know, statistically more palatable to your white boss because you want to get ahead, there ain't no shame in that game either. And it doesn't make you less of a feminist right. or less woke. Right. It's just, it's a very personal choice. And yet, I would argue... There is nothing as incredibly, and this is a privilege to be able to do this, but there's nothing that felt as good as aligning my outer hair look with how I really felt inside. And like Mm. that, that sort of expression of, you know, I want to have some crazy intense hair. And now I feel like it's part of my, my whole look, my whole thing. And I don't (laughs) think it's going anywhere anytime soon. But if you have the privilege to do that without worrying about how your boss is going to treat you differently... I'd strongly encourage y'all to 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 make a chop or make a change or do it. I might throw in some extensions someday for for the hell of it. Do it. I, I mean, you got to do you. Do I think you. that's the point here. And and uh, you know, I think engaging in the occasional hair experiment is something that I like to do as well. And and we can't judge each other for our hair choices. That's it. That's it. I think that's that's about it. So I want to hear from you. I want to hear from Sminty listeners. Please tell us more about how your hair changes over time have impacted the way people have treated you. So did you make a big change and get some unfortunate and negative feedback? And how did you deal? Did you go back or did you change it? Or did you ever make a hair style choice purely out of your own sort of desire to, to go for something that you've been admiring on other people for a long time. Or if you haven't, because you, you're not sure that you can rock it, what's holding you back? So I want to hear from you about your hair journey, whether you're natural, relaxed, braids, dreads, twists, whatever. Did you go natural? Why? Did you big chop when you went natural? Did you just grow it out? How did people change their way they treated you when you went natural or didn't go natural? Um, you know, how has your hair impacted your work life, your romantic life, your uh, family life? Mm. We want to hear from you. Yeah. So send us a note. Shoot us 
a tweet at MomStuffPodcast. You can also share a fierce photo of your awesome haircut and what it means about your feminism on um, on Instagram at StuffMomNeverToldYou. Or, as always, we love to hear from you directly through our inbox. So shoot us an email at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. <laughs> 